the, then the thing that really sets me off is, well, once we have a vaccine, then everything will go back, back to normal. To normal. Yeah. And I say, <laughs> you mean like the flu vaccine that's 8% effective? Doesn't work. I catch if, I mean, if I had a brake pad manufacturing company for cars and my brake pads were 8% effective, I would be out of business. George Floyd was not taken out because he was black. George Floyd was taken out because he was owed major drug money by Derek Shaven. If you're making vaccines that are 8% effective for the flu that you have to change every year, which by the way, give most people that take them the flu. Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell me that this new, and they can't sue, you can't sue them for this without going through the VAERS court, which is a joke. And you're going to tell me that once we have a untested, brand new, rushed through vaccine, then everything is going to go back to normal. Good luck with that. I'll tell you what, they're going to test it in Africa, like they're doing, kill a bunch of Africans, pay them off $1,000 per person, which is the maximum that they have to spend if they kill somebody. So they already know that because it's way cheaper to kill them there than kill them here found out what the Chinese Communist Party, the Red Dragon, is doing to these people and have been doing to these people for the last 20 years in China, sending hundreds and thousands of innocent Falun Gong practitioners, Uyghur Muslims, house Christians, and Tibetan Buddhists. Particularly 95% of um, the victims are Falun Gong practitioners to these state-mandated hospitals, concentration camps, death camps, military facilities, uh, military facilities run by the Chinese military at the behest of the, of the highest-ranking officials of the Chinese Communist Party to create a illegal, sanctioned, forced organ harvesting business. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Defender podcast. We are coming to you from the greatest country in the world, deep in the heart of the Lone Star State, Dallas, Texas. I am your host, Paul Aguilar. We really appreciate you guys stopping in. If you guys are watching us on YouTube and you aren't already a subscriber, please make sure that y'all subscribe. Hit that bell icon as well. Um, Also, hit that thumbs up button as well. It would really help us out. Uh, If you guys are watching us on the go or you want to check us out on the go, you can find us on Spotify. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. If you guys want to follow us on social media, we have everything linked down below. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Defender Podcast, Instagram at Truth Defender Podcast, as well as Facebook, Rumble, and Discord. Uh, if you guys have any questions for myself or comments for myself or our guests, you can send us an email to thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Our next guest has had over 25 years of experience in Mexico as a student, an employee for a large multinational corporation, and as an owner of an imports business. Founded in 1999, Sueños Latin American Imports. In addition to his MBA and BBA, Robert holds an MA in Latin American Studies from the University of New Mexico. You can find both of his books on Amazon, uh, Mexico Unexplained. The Magic Mysteries and Miracles of Mexico and Mexican Monsters, The Cryptids and Legendary Creatures of Mexico, which we have right here, started reading, which is great. Um, you can also find his books on his website, which will link you over to Amazon as well, uh, mexicoandexplained.com. Please welcome, without further ado, Robert Vito. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, like I mentioned, I recently purchased the book and I'm a little bit more than halfway through it. Um, my dad as well. He really enjoys it. Um, so okay. which, where are you actually located right now? I'm in the borderlands. I'm on, um, I'm in San Diego. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Central San Diego. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm, we're originally from El Paso, Texas. So we're originally West, you know, from West Texas. So we're right mm-hmm. there on the border as well. Um, so when you, when you said that you were actually going to school in New Mexico, I was just like, well, it's right right down the street from us there. <laughs> you know, Las Cruces would probably be the closest one to El Paso from there. So um, yeah, that's great. Um, but like, like I mentioned, I've been reading the book and reading a lot of stories from out there. Um, a lot of familiar stories, you know, a lot of stuff that I've actually heard of as well growing up on the border. Um, you know, a lot of things like La Llorona and stuff like that. Um, those are all like stories. If you grew up on the border, you know all about that, especially in Mexico as well. Um, and I wanted to kind of focus on the few topics there um, when it comes to monsters on the border. Um, 
but I guess since you're up in San Diego, how did that kind of thing come about? Like you, did, did you visit Mexico growing up or how, you know, how did that whole thing start with for you? Well, um, it goes way back when I was a student in Mexico, I heard different stories that was well over 30 years ago. Okay. And then I got a job working in Mexico in Mexico city. And I traveled throughout the country when I was stationed for that with that American company down there. And then in 1999, I started my imports business and that, um, caused me to travel throughout Mexico, even into the like deeper countryside, the smaller towns. And once you get really deep into Mexico, then you hear things that really don't ever leave Mexico. Yeah. And so over the years, having this business, I've accumulated all of these stories. And I remember when I was on a plane leaving Guadalajara and I was getting into my seat with the uh, the magazine called Muy Interestante. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Sure. It's like the, the big paranormal magazine in Mexico. And I was looking at um, this article about crop circles. And I, I was thinking to myself, you know, these some of these crop circles I've never seen before. And the commentary from the scientists in Mexico, I've never heard their angle on this. And then I began to think, you know, I've had all of these experiences in Mexico and come across all of these anomalies and weird stories and, and, and things. And I thought, you know, this would be really good uh, fodder for a book or a podcast or a YouTube show or something. And then, so about five and a half years ago, I started the, the YouTube uh, show and podcast called Mexico Unexplained. And then I've developed two books from that. And a third book is coming out this year. So that's how that all started. It's mostly from my business and going to these little tiny places and then, you know, hearing a story and I'm, you know, talking to taxi drivers and asking around and stuff like that. And that's, that's how you find out. And a lot of the stuff that I talk about is only in Spanish and, I'm bringing it to the English speaking world, a lot of it for the first time. Sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely like growing up, you hear stories like my my grandparents, they, they come out of Chihuahua. So that's kind of their area. And we would always go out to Chihuahua for like family reunions every year. And it was like a big thing. Um, and, you know, like my my cousins, they were local there. They would tell us stories about things because they live like out on a ranch so it was like this real mm-hmm. big ranch and they lived out there and like you would just hear all kinds of crazy stories about witches at night and just like weird monsters you'd find like in the in the mountains out there and i mean growing up at that time and i probably was like in middle school but like you would hear these stories and you get freaked out especially staying out there for like a week um you know but f- for them it was just kind of normal it's just stuff that they would see um, and then, you know, my dad, he had a bunch of stories when his his parents brought them over from Mexico. Um, they lived in a small town called Tornillo out here in West Texas. And they had a ranch out there as well. And they're just like stories that you would hear about witches that would ch- turn back into humans after being like owls and just all kinds of crazy, crazy stories that, <laughs> you know, that you would hear, you know, because I've actually relayed these s- stories to other people. And they're just like, man, that's crazy. And you can just tell that they don't believe it, you know, like when, the, when I'm telling them the story. But um, I mean, these stories are coming down from like my my great grandfather and stuff like that. So um, it's, it's definitely some crazy stuff out there that it's I mean, I, I guess maybe not so much anymore. I, I don't know if you can probably speak to that. Is it still happening like on a regular basis or is it just kind of stories that you don't really don't hear anymore too much? Oh, they're still very much alive, these stories. And I take one one example, let's say the lechusa. You told you you mentioned a witch that turns into an owl. You know, that's that's a big story in northern Mexico, especially. And then in parts of the southwest, like the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, right. supposedly this gigantic owl appears, and then if you shoot it 
and it dies, then it turns into a haggard old woman, and it was really a woman to begin with. You know, that sort that I think is my most popular cryptid that I've ever talked about. And I get messages on a weekly basis. In fact, right before I started this show, probably about 20 minutes before I logged on to Zoom, some guy contacted me and said that he saw a Lechusa and he he saw it when he was younger and it was always it always showed up when he was messing around with his friends doing bad stuff that they shouldn't have been doing right but i hear all the time people who you know contact me and say they they've had a sighting of this or that or the other thing you know yorona whatever and so these are not things of the past necessarily i think they're very much alive and then that brings us to a question then are they real right you know if they're still here if your great-grandfather told you a legend that someone's telling me about 20 minutes ago what does that mean exactly right that's somewhere that's a question yeah definitely is a question it's i mean i mean like so Growing up on the border, we had Juarez, is like right, right across from El Paso. So it's, it's, you would have, like, we used to have friends that would come to high school here in the States, you know, so they would cross over in the morning and they go to school and then after school they go back home. And it, it was, right. it was a lot of stories of like, I don't know, I mean, right there next to the border in El Paso, it's, Juarez is like the big, city but once you leave Juarez out the other end it's it's kind of like desert just all desert for miles yeah it's desolate yeah there's nothing out there really um you know for like a few hours but you know they would all live a lot of them they were like poor and stuff like that but they lived out there like in the mountains you could see from my from my front yard if you were to look off to the right hand side you could see like I don't know I want to say about 200 yards you would see the border wall and you could see over the fence and you could see all the people living out there and stuff. But um, right. yeah, they would, they would come out with these crazy stories about witches. I don't know if you had seen a few years back, it was, uh, I want to say it wasn't on Univision, but it was like another Mexican station where they had the news that, that there was a witch that had actually attacked like two police officers. That was like a, like one of the big stories a few years back. Um, right. You know, right. They had, you know, they had them on the news and stuff, but you know, it's just, yeah, that's, I've actually uh, talked about that story. It's in the book too. It's that specific story. Yeah. The witch or the creature, whatever it was, attacked the police car and like almost tore the roof off of it. Mm -hmm. And they were calling it the Bruja de Guadalupe or the man bat, because they were thinking that it was a gigantic bat, but it was like in the it was in the shape of a person. Then people said, no, it was a witch. Um, yeah. So that was a, that was a pretty crazy story. And that just happened within this century. So it would happen, you know, I think like 15 years ago or something. Right. So yeah, these are not things of the past. They're still with us. And you know, you were speaking about the desolation and if you fly into central Mexico, let's say you're flying down to Guadalajara or Mexico City, you're flying over this country that is mostly uninhabited. Yeah. So, and the mountains and everything. And so people have sighted creatures, you know, um, and all this assorted other stuff. There's plenty of room for stuff to exist, even whether it's legend or you believe that it, these things are interdimensional or whatever, there is room, I think, for undiscovered animals. Um, there's a certain type of wildcat, for example, that is in the Sierras that they that's called the Mexican onza that they think is a holdover from the Ice Age, that it was a, a cheetah, a prehistoric mm-hmm. cheetah that went extinct but still exists in Mexico in the remote areas. So you have a lot of empty space where there's a lot of stuff that can be going on. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely, yeah, it's, it's crazy, you know, actually having driven from like out of El Paso into Juarez and then we would actually take the bus 
all the way out to Chihuahua. It's you're just staring at desert for like hundreds of miles, and there's nothing out there. It's yeah. I mean, who knows what's still out there? If there's nobody living out there, I mean, that doesn't mean that it's it's completely empty. There's something out there, you know, like in the mountains or whatever. But I mean, so I guess one of like the major ones that I wanted to really speak about was the black-eyed children, you know, because they have stories about black-eyed children here in the states. They have them like over overseas, like you know, like other countries and stuff. But I had never heard of black-eyed children in Mexico. I'm sure it's it's happened, you know, but I had just never heard stories about that ever. Yeah, you know, and that's very interesting because that's only been happening for the past fifteen or twenty years, and some people. Some people in Mexico say it's un gran psicosis. It's like a great, like a psychosis, or what do you call it? A like mass hallucination yes, yeah. or something like that. And um, a lot of people blame the United States. Well, in Mexico, that happens a lot. Just blame the United States. Right? <laughs> oh, there's an earthquake. Blame the United States. Yeah. No. And so the black-eyed children. Oh, those are gringos. You know, those. That's. I even heard in Mexico someone tell me that those black eyed kids were created in a lab. And um, that was in an area actually where they had several sightings of these kids, but they've been sighted in the Yucatan in the state of Colima. And then on the border, just right across the border from me here in San Diego and Tijuana. So they've been around the country and, people have a lot of theories about them and there you can readily look that up on the internet because like you said, it's a worldwide phenomenon, but it's only been recently, you know, described in Mexico. It's it, ha- they haven't been there for a while, but the black eyed kid phenomenon is fairly recent in the world. Anyway, I think, I mean, maybe it goes back 50 years possibly, right. mm-hmm. but in Mexico, it's, it's a lot more recent than that. And it's the same thing. And they they speak Spanish. It's, you know, perfect Spanish. Podemos entrar. You know, they always ask for permission to come in. And then, you know, it's it's the same deal. But yeah. um, there's, what I have found is that there is a component for everything in Mexico that we know as paranormal. Like, there's a Bigfoot creature. There's a Loch Ness monster creature. There's a Bermuda Triangle. It seems like every paranormal thing has its own little special Mexican version. Right. So, yeah, that, that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. It's it's, but the whole fact. So, so I guess when it's worldwide, I you know I had never heard of any black-eyed children outside of the u.s besides like the uk or mm-hmm. i've heard maybe like a story or two in brazil but it was never like they would pick up the language or like they would take the language they would still be speaking english or stuff i mean the, one of the, the stories that i heard was uh, in new orleans was like the last one that i had heard um but it wasn't like at a house there was a lady trying to get go to the store or something like that she was in her car and she looked in the back seat and there was like a little kid in the back seat um but when she jumped out of the car to open the door you know she was gone you know it was just one of those crazy stories like that but she described you know she had black eyes and, and all that stuff but um that's just weird that it would take on the language you know because all the stories that i had ever heard about them they never spoke like the local like language or anything it was just all english you know the whole time so that's that's definitely creepy, <laughs> creepier, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, but that's yeah, you know. But like you said, that's 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 fairly recent. I had never heard of any kind of stories about black-eyed children in Mexico, like ever growing up or anything. So it would it would probably it's obviously like a new thing. But you know, why would they cross borders and you know start to go into Mexico and stuff like that? So. Uh, that's definitely but the whole psychosis thing there could be something to that too because we see that with the chupacabra because that didn't exist in mexico until the show christina from (laughs) i guess she's on univision or one of the big you know pan latin american networks you know you know who i'm talking about the Mm -hmm. the talk show host the cuban woman with the mustard colored hair you know and she first brought that on her show 
and she was mostly talking about the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, right. the Puerto Rican chupacabra. Then all of a sudden, after that show aired, people started seeing this creature in Mexico. Now, was it part of some sort of great psychosis or whatever? Or did people feel now that they had the permission to talk about stuff like this? Was it always there? You know, I don't know. But you don't hear about the chupacabra anymore. Not much, not like no. it used to be in the mid mid or late 90s. But when things are talked about, it seems like they appear. And there's a, in Tibet, there's a, there's a whole phenomenon called the tulpa, where you, it's a thought form that comes to life. Yeah. And so there are, there are a couple of instances at the beginning of 2020, like right at, well, it was in March or April, there was a town that in Mexico, and I, I did a show about it, um, there was a town in Mexico that the, the whole town thought that they were seeing werewolves and psychologists thought that it was because of the, the pandemic lockdown and people were, you know, on edge and they, you know, didn't know what was going on and they were fearing the unknown. Right. And one person said they saw a werewolf and then that just kind of caught on <laughs> and it, they, there really wasn't a werewolf but then there were photographs of tracks and stuff like that and so you know we, there there are different different ex possible explanations on to uh, about how these creatures manifest right are they real are people just seeing things is it a collective unconscious that's coming to life there are a lot of different questions. And um, I was talking to another podcast host last month, and we both agreed, hey, you know, sometimes it's good to just wonder and not have answers. Because some of these, I, I don't, wh what, what is the answer to the black eyed kids, for example? Right. What are they? I mean, people have been asking that question and questions of other things for a long time. And right. what are we going to do? How, what answers can we get? Yeah. I don't think we can. And I, 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 I guess we could speak to the whole mass psychosis thing. So, like, they had that whole Slenderman thing that was that was going around here, right? You know, for a while. Obviously, it was something that was started on the internet and stuff like that. But after like like a year or so, they had like kids saying that they they were seeing it and stuff. They even had that case. I forgot where, but there was two little girls that like lured one of their, their friends over to the house. And then they both murdered her because they said that the yeah. slender man showed up and said that they had to kill her and stuff like that. So, I mean, it could be one of those things where you, you put so much thought into it. You think about it so much that you just wish it into existence or, you know, things like that. But um, that one is definitely, I guess one of the more recent ones that, I mean, that was like two years ago when that happened or so, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess if, if enough people think about it or, you know, they, they think that they see it, I guess they just make it, you know, like out of their mind and it just shows up. So um, yeah. And it's, especially if, it, if they don't exist, you know, prior, and then all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of people seeing them and a lot of claims that people talk to them or, you know, like they show up at their house and stuff. So yeah, there's there's a whole lot of questions that I wish we had answers to, but then I kind of think like, ah, maybe we should just leave them the way they are because I don't want to yeah. be, I don't want to be given like the answer and be like, ah, oh, well, it was just like a joke or you know this and that. But yeah, I think I'm with you on that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, one of the, the one of the things that I found interesting. So giants in Mexico. I had never heard of stories about giants in mexico can you go into that well yeah it, it's really interesting we have in the united states stories of giants too mm -hmm. early settlers you know anglo-american settlers crossing the continent and then finding bones and things like that the same thing happened in mexico with the spanish when they first arrived they found supposed evidence of giant bones and 
there was even one account that I read in Spanish from an archive, an archival source in Spain where a guy got a land grant in central Mexico and he found giant bones and he sent them back to the king of Spain. And so the king of Spain was supposedly aware of this stuff. Right. But there's something going on with the bones and with ancient mysteries in general in Mexico. The same thing that's happened here. Like I said, there's always a component in Mexico. There's always something that's very similar to what we have going on in the United States. In the United States, we've had the Smithsonian and other organizations like that putting the lid on forbidden archaeology, so to say, um, bones that are out of out of whack, out of sequence, whatever. Um, and you've heard of that, I'm sure. Right. And your listeners probably have heard of the Smithsonian. But in Mexico, they have the National Institute, the National Institute of Anthropology and History out of Mexico City. In every state, there's at least one field office. And if something's ever discovered, they go out there and depending on what it is, sometimes they will shut down the place. Like um, in Guanajuato, in the state of Guanajuato, in the southeastern corner of it, there's a, a little town called Acambaro. And I've been there. And I've been to the Dinosaur Figurine Museum there, the yeah. Waldemar Julesrud Museum, where they've, they've un, unearthed a lot of these figurines that are of dinosaurs. And they have humans with the dinosaurs. And the National Institute of Anthropology and History went into that area and said, no more digs. We're not going to give you any more permits for digs. Yep. Can't have that. So they will, put the, they will put the lid on things just like the Smithsonian does here or used to do. I mean, you've heard stories of finding giant bones or armor from medieval knights or something, and then they get dumped into the ocean. Well it's the same thing down there. They have this tight control. And I think in Mexico, it's even a tighter control because there's just more stuff down there. Right. Um, if you think about all the civilizations for thousands of years, complex civilizations, you know, there's a lot more potentially to hide from the public. And so the giants, back to what you originally were saying, they supposedly have uncovered bones and there's a, a history you know, in the mythology or the oral history of some of the people down there that giants did exist. Like the city of Teotihuacan was supposedly built by giants, according to the Aztecs or the Mexica right. people. Um, and then there was one story, and I talked about it in my book, about a real living giant that the conquistadors actually came across and he was like 10 feet tall. And when they were trying to conquer, I believe Tlatelolco, one of the towns just north of Tenochtitlan, the Aztec capital on the same island, right. there was this giant who was fighting on talking about the, the giant who was throwing boulders the size of watermelons. Okay, yeah, that that's right. right. Right, right, yeah. Okay. And I don't know where what we did from there but um, so we we were you were just talking about how the spanish had were about to i guess they were had discovered a giant and then that's where it kind of stopped and after that okay i don't know where to pick up from though um let's see i was talking about the yeah the the guy throwing uh watermelon sized boulders and he kept the spanish at bay for a couple of days and then um so that's that's one of their historical accounts of a real giant that right. they actually came into contact with. But is that somebody who is suffering from gigantism, you know, someone who is just a super tall person, or was it part of a lost race? So there's there are stories in ancient Mexico about the lost race of giants. And People say that that's who built the big cities, you know, the pyramids and things. But, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to be a little skeptical about that, because if you've ever been to Mexico and been to those pyramids, 
maybe the giants constructed them, but they didn't construct them for themselves because right. those staircases, they are, they're small, they're narrow for, you know, the, the steps are not that wide. Right. They're like for someone who has an adult size men's uh, shoe of like a seven or something, okay. you know, like a 12 year old or a 13 year old in modern times, a small footed person, which if you look to the indigenous of Mexico, they tend to be five feet tall or so on average with, you know, the the corresponding dimensions for their feet and hands and everything. So if the giants really built those cities, then the cities themselves would be for bigger people. The doorways wouldn't be so low. The stairs wouldn't be so small. But then other people will counter that. I said that once on a show. And then someone, the host said, but maybe these pyramids were built by the giants. And then since a lot of these ruins are built on top of older ruins, the people came, the Toltecas or whoever, and then just put their their facade over the pyramid, their their next layer, and that next layer had the the steps that were human size. So that could be an explanation too. There are a lot of maybes here with everything. I think. Yeah, and it's definitely odd that you know there's like a lost race of giants. I mean, there seems to be a lot of lost races of all kinds of people in Mexico. I mean. Aztecs just up and disappeared as well and just like seemingly into thin air really they didn't really kind of leave any kind of like clues as to what happened at that time we like you know where they went I mean there's obviously still like Aztec people that are you know from the Aztec gene or you know whatever still alive in Mexico but I mean it just seems like the whole race just kind of disappeared one day and then you know nobody knows what happened to them along with other people like in mexico as well right so it's right there are a lot of civilizations that just kind of stopped yeah and the ancient maya that's the big civilization that you know the the civilization collapsed no one understands why there are lots of theories then there are other there are other places like Teotihuacan, the big ruins that are outside of Mexico City, just to the northeast. That civilization, they had no writing. Um, it's hard to understand what really happened there. There was a big fire at one point, and then the city and the whole society basically collapsed. And the, the Toltecs also, they mysteriously disappeared. So are these just civilizational collapses or did something happen? And what was that? And, you know, a lot of it's, a lot of it is up for grabs as far as explanations go. We don't really know. It's odd that it's just concentrated around that, you know, like that region of Mexico. I mean, you have other, other civilizations around the world, even up through the Americas and stuff that, that they, I mean, they're no longer here if they were here before, but for the most part, I mean, there's still like ancestors that were still there and you have stories of what happened to the people, like like, like all the Native Americans here, like, you know, like, you know, like where all the tribes were, where they went through, but it's just like that one area, like in Mexico, not even just one area, but like the whole state of Mexico, it's just everybody that was in there before, they're just gone. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know where it's weird. It's just makes you like wonder is it just because there's pyramids there and that has something to do with it i mean do you have pyramids in egypt and i forgot where the other set of like the major pyramids are around the world as well but there's only like three major areas right but i mean the people of egypt as well i mean they're for the most part still there it's just in mexico that you just don't see them anymore it's it's just odd yeah, there are many theories, you know, you can go as wild as you want. When there's no certainty, you can fill in the blanks with anything. Okay. And there are a lot of groups out there, like, especially with the Toltecs. The Toltecs were a civilization that was before the Aztecs, but was after the Olmecs. So they were like the big kids on the block about a thousand years ago, like 800 AD to 1000 to 1100 AD. And 
They didn't leave behind any writing, so we can't read what they wrote. Um, and they mysteriously disappeared. They collapsed. We don't know much about their religion. We can only guess from paintings and art left behind that are very similar to other cultures in ancient Mexico. But because we don't know much about it, in the 60s and 70s, there was this Toltec spirituality movement that got off the ground that turned into the new, you know, new age sort of stuff. And it was mostly co-opted by Americans, white American, you know, non-Hispanic Americans. And even to this day, there are a lot of charlatans and scam artists in Mexico who say, yeah, I'm a Toltec shaman. I'm a, you know, a medicine man of the Toltecs. And, you know, my great-grandfather and my great-great-great-whatever, you know, this is a history that goes back thousands of years. It's all not true. Right. <laughs> what they're doing, what they're doing is they're filling in the blanks. Right. There are a lot of blanks. We have a lot of questions. So you can say whatever you want. You could say they're aliens, they went underground, whatever. You know, you could say all of this stuff. And some people make a business out of it, unfortunately you know scamming gringos who don't know any better so. sure how much of what we see now in mexico when it comes to like cryptids and demons and ghosts is you think from like the aztec times and like the mayan times where you know they actually sacrifice like thousands of people and things like that and even nowadays you have like black magic and stuff like that in mexico and certain towns are like their local religion is to like the, the Virgin the Mary. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, how much of that plays into it, you know? Well, um, a lot of these beliefs, as far as cryptids, legendary creatures, whatever, a lot of them go way, way back. Right. We talked about the black-eyed children. That's recent. Chupacabras is recent. But then you have things like the Tlanchana, which is this mermaid creature that lives in the lakes and some rivers in central Mexico. That, that story goes back at least 2,000 years. There's stories about the Bigfoot creatures. Those go back to before the Spanish. The lake monster that supposedly lived in Lake Texcoco around the capital city of the Aztecs. That goes way, way back to... So a lot of these things go deep into history, and there's a lot of history in Mexico. Complex civilizations have been in Mexico for thousands of years. So there's a lot there. And people think that Mexico is one of the most haunted places on earth because of what you're saying, the sacrifices, and because civilization has been there for a long time. And it's interesting to note that I did a show on exorcisms in Mexico. The Catholic Church will admit officially, coming from the Vatican in Rome, will admit it officially that there are more exorcisms in Mexico than in any other country on earth, right. even though it's not the most populous Catholic country. The, the, uh, the country with most the most Catholics is Brazil, but in Mexico, there are more exorcisms by far than any other place. So what's that? Is that also part of the grand psychosis? Is that just mass hysteria again? Or is there something really going on? And a couple of popes, Pope Benedict XVI specifically went to Mexico to address the issues related to the Santa Muerte and Jesus Malverde, a worshiping of these folk saints that have nothing to do with Catholicism. Right. So, and those two folk saints, especially the Santa Muerte, those are the worship of those folk saints are growing in popularity, and the Catholic Church really can't do anything about it. And people are, are gravitating towards those saints because they feel that times are so tough the situation is so dire that the regular Catholic saints can't handle it. So they go to like the darker side, 
the Santo Muerte looks like the Grim Reaper. You, you've, you're very familiar with that image, I'm sure. And it looks like the Grim Reaper and it's female and she has all of these powers. Now, what Catholic church or what Catholic saint can you go to to put a curse on somebody? No, nobody. Yeah. But the Santa Muerte, you can say prayers and give her offerings and stuff, and she can curse someone for you. She can get revenge for you against someone else. So these are these are very powerful things that people are believing in because the church has failed them. And like I said, there have been a couple of visits by popes to Mexico just to address this worship of let's say the darker um spirits but i gotta be careful because i'll get into trouble because people will say to me and people have contacted me and say why are you putting like this negative spin on the santa muerte she's beautiful she's powerful she comes into my heart you know people are really into this stuff yeah and you know so maybe we should back off on being judgmental about it or whatever, but you know, they're very powerful and they're growing in power. Right. So, no, it's definitely one of those things where, I mean, growing up in Mexican household, you know, it, you know, religion, especially for the older generations, like, you know, my grandmother, especially like they get into it. You know, obviously like we were Catholic growing up and you had to be like, super religious we're always at church we're always there every week my grand, my grandmother didn't let anybody skip we all had to be there even when we all moved out we would always the nana does that before. all the time right? you know even when we were, all like, we were all like spread out we would all still have to like come on the weekends hey here you come into church because your grandma wants you here this weekend for church and just like i'm like working i got stuff to do i have my own family <laughs> now like i have to go back and you know but yeah, I mean, I can see how how people, especially that live in those areas, they would just get really into it because it's just a part of their life every day. I mean, I I know how that goes, you know, so it would be real easy for them to attach to something like that and they would just take off running with it and there's nothing you can do to change their minds, especially if they start to see in their own mind some kind of fortune off of that, you know, like they get something here and there, maybe they get a little money here and there, whatever, maybe, and it's because they prayed the night before, then they're just going to keep going. It's going to, it's going to keep reaffirming them, you know, and, and it's just, it's going to get out of hand, which obviously it has, but yeah, but it's just crazy that the popes, you know, have to go all the way to Mexico just for that. And, you know, but. Well, you know, and like I mentioned briefly, it's the situation in Mexico has gotten a lot tougher. Yeah. I mean, since I've been going down there, I've been going down there regularly for business for well over 20 years. And like I said, at the beginning, I lived in Mexico in 1995, also in 1989, when I was a student first in college. And it's gotten, especially in the rural areas that are affected by the cartels. So where you have the cartels controlling the countryside of where you live and all of these things, bad things are happening around you. The Catholic church isn't going to cut it. You need something more powerful. And that's, they're turning to these, these folk saints that some people would consider to be very dark forces because they need that power because they're the live, the the world around them is terrible. Right. And it's, it's definitely, so, I mean, I guess when, Bill Clinton was in office way back when um, in El Paso there where I was at, there was this whole thing in Juarez where there were like kidnapping women, like mm-hmm. all the time. And they were Still murdering going them. On. And yeah. they were, I think they had found like four or 500 of them, like in graves out in the desert. And the, it was like this big thing that was going on at that time that women were scared to go out at night because they were just taking them like clockwork every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, they just would never see them again. Um, but that was going on just right across the border from where I was. And it was like mm-hmm. a big thing because we had a lot of family out there still and like a lot of friends in Juarez and stuff. And it was it was pretty rough for a while. And then that whole thing kind of died down and it started, started getting better. And kind of when I was coming up through high mm-hmm. school and like in the late 90s, 
you know, we used to go over to what is like Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays, like, you know, to go drink and stuff. And that was just what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but then kind of like when I got to high school and stuff, like early 2000s is when it started picking up again really bad. And now you have, you know, like, like you mentioned, the cartels, not just out like in the rural areas anymore, but they're coming into the cities now. Oh, yeah. Taking over whole, you know, like whole sections and stuff. So it's getting a lot worse. I mean, it's I don't know what what can be done at this point. I don't think anything. But um, yeah, that that definitely feeds. Well, they have their elections coming up in June. I mean, I don't know if you listen to Mexican radio. I'm into the 80s music and stuff like that. You know, that's what I grew up with. And there's a, a radio station from out of Tecate that I listen to all the time here on the American side. And gosh, the political uh, the political ads are just crazy right now hmm. because there's an election coming up in the, the first week of June. And so there's a lot at stake, you know, and the, it's the same rhetoric that we've heard on this side of the border. This is the most important election we've ever had in our history. Right. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of, there's a lot on the line in Mexico right now. That country could be the richest country on earth. Yeah. It has incredible natural resources. This, I mean, it's, it's amazing, but the politics and everything and, just the the whole social situation down there right now it's they're really it's really hindering any sort of progress and it, it's sad so we'll see yeah. what happens in june it's definitely definitely a sad we like you know like i mentioned we used to go every year for family reunions and stuff and at some point i don't even remember when we just had to stop going which is really sad because i really enjoyed it it's a beautiful country mm-hmm. you know that's that's where we're from and stuff or that's where my grandparents were from you know but like it's just it just stopped being somewhere that we could just go and have fun we it's just it's sad you know that we can't go back anymore like we used to and, and uh i really wish we could but yeah <laughs> it's definitely pretty rough but oh well what can we do um but yeah so i guess one of like the main i guess there's two more here that i wanted to kind of touch on um the black demon i found really interesting can you kind of go into a little more about that one yeah it's supposedly a 35 foot long shark that exists in the gulf of california also called the sea of cortez that's the body of water that is in the Pacific Ocean, and it goes up in between Baja, the Baja Peninsula, and then what they call the mainland, even though it's connected to the mainland of Mexico, the peninsula is. But um, it's in the Sea of Cortez. It's been spotted for a couple of decades, and some people believe that it's a holdover of a megalodon, Hmm. the gigantic prehistoric shark. And um, so there's been there's been a lot of there there've been a few investigations into this and all that has really come up is anecdotal stories and then evidence of seals or um boats and stuff just mm-hmm. totally shredded and so and you know eyewitness accounts and things like that but they haven't found a body um they haven't found any other sort of physical evidence it's kind of like bigfoot you know right. <laughs> where's the physical evidence yeah. but so yeah that's very interesting because people have claimed to have seen megalodon the the prehistoric gigantic shark in other parts of the world like off of south africa so right. it could be possible that this this is a creature that still exists i mean the oceans are are un- totally unexplored pretty much so yeah. it could be out there i always find it interesting how we search we spend like billions of dollars searching for life like in out there somewhere on like other planets and stuff but mm-hmm. nobody's ever gone under the like in the ocean way down there and there's stuff that we haven't discovered down there either it's we're i think we're looking in the wrong spot <laughs> we need to look <laughs> inwards and not outwards yeah and then so i guess like one of like the main ones we'll close up on here is um, 
the mummies of Guanajuato. What is what is that all about there? Well, those are actually real mummies. There were people who were interred in when cemeteries in Guanajuato because of the if you I don't know if you've ever been to Guanajuato. It's one of the most beautiful places in Mexico. I geez, I could live there. It's the the climate is kind of like San Diego. It's like 72 degrees year round and it's fairly dry. There are conditions in the soil and also the the humidity, the temperature that preserved, you know, real people. These are real, you know, people who were interred and um, they couldn't pay, the families couldn't pay their taxes on the burial because the the burial tax, your family has to pay for, for like a hundred years. They stopped doing that. They stopped doing that, I think in the fifties, but they, we're saying, up, oh, you didn't pay your burial tax on your great grandmother, so we're going to have to move her body. And when they were doing that, when they were um, opening the tombs of these people, digging them up, they they were perfectly preserved. Hmm. So that was that's there's scientific explanations for that. The conditions were just perfect, right. but it's part of Mexican lore. You know, there there are stories, there are movies about the mummies. There's a museum there. You can buy mummy-shaped candy outside the museum, you know. In fact, I was just there. Gosh, it was uh, almost a year ago, the end of February of last year, right before the pandemia. Yeah. Um, and there's, they've expanded the museum. It's a, It's like a big business in that town, but there are stories of some of them coming to life and, you know, the whole thing like that. But um, mo- most of that is scientifically explained what happened to them there. Right. But it's a, it's a very interesting thing to look at. Yeah. How, how widespread is La Llorona? Cause I mean, obviously we have one in El Paso, um, but I'm sure there's like one story pretty much everywhere throughout Mexico. Do you right. find that? It's- it's a standard story and that's one people always ask me of all of these things you write about have you ever seen any of this stuff and the yorona is one that i have seen or i thought i did when i was crossing an arroyo in new mexico when i was a kid in albuquerque because the school system there is very poor you know there was no money for a school bus right so our teacher wanted to invite us over to her house at the end of the year. So we had to take city buses to get to her house. And between bus stops, we had to cross a bridge of a, you know, a dry ditch and a royal. And um, I was there with a couple of other kids, you know, all my classmates were crossing the bridge. And one guy pointed and said, look, look down there. And there was a woman, an old woman. What was she doing in this ditch? She was climbing out of it and we looked at each other we were like Yorona, and then we ran 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 i've never i we ran so fast and we were laughing while we were running because we couldn't believe what we saw we just like kind of tumbled all over each other i mean it was kind of funny and interesting but the story goes back hundreds and hundreds of years to those listeners and and watchers of your show who don't know the the one minute story is that it's a woman she was very beautiful she lived in colonial mexico and she married a very handsome guy who was an army guy in some stories he was a nobleman like a count or something she had two kids it's always two kids whatever story you have here she had two kids and she was raising the kids pretty much by herself because the husband was away and then there were rumors around town that the husband was cheating on her. And then so she took the, the kids to a, a, a raging river, threw the kids into the river to try to kill them to spite her husband. And while the kids were floundering in the, the waters, drowning, she had second thoughts, yeah. but it was too late. So now she roams the riverbanks, the arroyos, the acequias anywhere where there's water and she is lurking around wanting to snatch any kids 
you know, she's looking for her own, but any other kid will do. Right. So that's the story. And that's, I thought I saw her with a bunch of other witnesses. Right. Yeah. That's definitely, yeah. You know, like, like you said, it kind of varies wherever you are, but um, you know, down there on the, on the Rio, it's, you, you just hear stories up and down everywhere and everybody swore that they'd seen them when I was growing up and stuff. I even have some family that are cops there locally and they have stories and you know, one of my cousins actually border patrol. So you can just imagine the stories he has, but um, yeah, I mean, that's just one of those like standard stories that no matter where you go throughout Mexico, you'll hear some kind of variation wherever it is. Um, I mean, even oddly enough out there in El Paso, there's, a story or two of like Bigfoot on the border and stuff like that, which is odd. I had never heard of anything like that, you know, actually growing up there, but, uh, but there, there apparently is like, like one or two stories about it. And it's just like, weird. it's weird. I mean, it's definitely weird out there in El Paso. It's, it's like all desert, you know, once you try to go like West, you know, crossing Albuquerque and stuff like that. But um, out there it's in the middle of nowhere, especially like in the smaller towns, like, like Fabian's is one of those towns where it's starting to expand out that way more now. But before when I was in high school and stuff like that, there was nothing out there. It was just like a little town and there's desert everywhere and just like, like mountains and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I had cousins who who were born out there and, you know, they grew up there and they lived there their whole lives. And there's like things that they would see in the mountains or on the border and stuff, like crying babies at night, like in the, in the bushes and stuff and it's just like weird things it's i don't know if it has to do with like like the mexican kind of i don't know like uh i want to say folklore but it's just like the weird things that happen in mexico like with, like the black magic stuff and like like all the brujas and stuff so I'm, I'm sure that has something to do with it when it comes to all these different stories out there sure if you believe in it yeah. You know, is it real or isn't it? Like I said, you know, earlier, it's okay to wonder. It's okay not to have answers. And I I think we can't understand everything. We can try, but yeah, it's it sure is an interesting world, isn't it? It's definitely interesting. It's it's great up to a point to where you kind of want to know about it, but you just hope that you never see anything for yourself because then you'd be scared <laughs> out of your mind. I mean, because it's great to talk about them, you know, for the most part, but do I ever want to see one of these things in person? Maybe not. Um, I would like to know that they exist and maybe have some kind of evidence, but I don't want to be the one to find out firsthand if it actually exists. Uh, I'll let someone else do that and then I'll come swooping in later and we can talk about it. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely freaky. It's, it's great too. I mean, you know, like these stories have lasted hundreds of years in most cases and they're just great to talk about, especially, you know, like I mentioned growing up on the border, like all my friends we would all talk about it. I would talk about it with my family and they had great stories and stuff like that. Even my dad and stuff. And it's just, it's fun. It's just, it's just fun to like hear these stories. And I'm sure one day when my son gets older, I'll tell him the same stories and it's just going to keep going. So that's, yeah, you have to, yeah, you have to, it's your obligation. You got to yeah. tell him these stories. Yeah. It's going to be one of the, one of the, the really good things about when he gets older, but I mean, I'm just hoping one day that we finally get to hopefully if this whole pandemic stops or whatever, one it's day never gonna end. yeah but i mean if we get to some kind of i'm not gonna say normalcy either because it's not normal to be wearing masks and all that crap but it'll never get back to normal yeah i just i want to be sorry. able to yeah no i know i just sorry we're yeah. we're all screwed from now on but yeah. it's yeah i just i would like to visit like we used to you know but that's not fine mm. i gonna happen anytime soon and you know all those family get-togethers we used to have out there they're all done i mean my grandmother she just passed away like a few months ago so that's not going to happen anymore because she's not here and she was like the main person that would kind of keep that whole thing alive um mm -hmm. and now that she's gone it's just like the family's gonna go their own way and that's just gonna be it from now on but um yeah i mean hopefully one day we get to go back out there how often do you make it out there you know like for work and all that stuff well i've 
tried to go a couple times a year. Then the last time I could really travel was February of last year. And um, I had to cancel all of my 2020 trips that I had planned. And um, yeah, I usually go a couple times a year if I can. In the early part of my business, I was going down there a lot more often. But um, yeah, I try to go to the smaller, more obscure places to find products for my business, right. stuff that no one else has. And as a consequence, like I said at the beginning, that's where all this came from, the whole Mexico Unexplained stuff, because I was stumbling across a lot of very interesting things that I'd never heard of before. So, yeah. Yeah. And we, we usually stumble out any which way, you know, for food is probably one of the biggest reasons why we would go out there. It's just kind of what we do, you know, my wife and stuff. We like to travel for food and stuff. And, you know, she's mm -hmm. my wife from the Philippines. So um, oh. when she came to the States uh, back in what, 2013, I think it was, she had never tried any kind of Mexican food whatsoever. So that was one of like the biggest joys that I had was, bringing that food you know to her now i can't stop so, her yeah. <laughs> now you at your house you have pancit burritos right pancit burrito, yeah <laughs> all that kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like a weird thing when we get together with other people and she, you know she brings like fried fish or whatever she takes you know from her side and then like we're bringing flautas and all kinds of stuff and mm -hmm. and stuff so it's it's definitely like a weird kind of mix when people come over as well but it's great. I mean, up until that point, she had never tried any kind of Mexican food like, ever. And now it's all oh, wow. like tacos all the time. And she wants to eat <laughs> freaking gorditas and like enchiladas and stuff. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's great. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good for me, but then it's not because then we start putting on the poundage. So that's not, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it's all right. It's yeah, all yeah. good. It's all good. Especially during like this whole quarantine thing. It's, what makes it worse is you know my wife went to school to learn how to be a chef and all that stuff so she already knows how to cook so wow. um, she got together with my grandmother like once or twice and kind of wow. all of her recipes and now i'm lucky enough that i get to have those still <laughs> um you know and now that she's not here but uh yeah it's, it's definitely pretty good we got a good deal out of it <laughs> <laughs> well sir i really appreciate it um that was some great stuff there like yeah. I said I have your book and I really enjoyed Thank it I'm going to go ahead and finish it out as well uh, this weekend but um yeah so I guess can you kind of let everybody know where they can find your books and your website and any other kind of like social media areas they can find you yeah sure um mexicoandexplained.com that has all of the shows it has and it's completely free you can read any of the articles I've written for free and um through there, you can buy the book, you can get an autographed copy directly from me, or you can order from Amazon or request it using the ISB number from a local bookstore if you want. And then um, I'm also on YouTube, Mexico Unexplained, and Twitter, MX Unexplained, and also Facebook. So you can connect with me there. Especially, I want to hear from you if you've had experiences and also for any sort of story ideas because i'm i have the right to learn too during this whole project and sometimes you know listeners and um viewers of the youtube channel will contact me and say you know when i was visiting my grandma in santa maria del pulque guanajuato or you know some little tiny town and there's a legend there or whatever and then i'll look into it and it'll be something amazing yeah. So a lot of my material comes from the, the, the people who view and watch my stuff. So I want to hear from you if you have experienced anything or if you have something interesting you want me to look at. So, yeah, um, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you today about this. I can go on and on, but no, <laughs> I know we have time constraints. So, yeah. No, we'll definitely have to have you on, especially when that new book comes out, you know, we'll set something up again because there's other stories that i i have and i know a lot of other people have i mean like you said we can go on forever and i definitely have those stories around here somewhere that we can speak about we'll have to do something more informal 
you know, we can, we can just go ahead and talk about it. But yeah, so I'll, I'll go ahead and link your books and everything down below in the video on YouTube, as well as like you mentioned, Facebook and Twitter and all that. Uh, the website as well, MexicoUnexplained.com. Um, but we'll go ahead and do that for you. And we'll have to have you on again sometime soon. Um, even if it's way before the other book comes out, we can just have you on it. Great. Again as well. Um, and we'll go from there. But um, I really appreciate your time, sir. Um, I hope you guys stay safe out there where you're at. Stay healthy as well. And hopefully we get to get back out, out to Mexico again sometime soon. Um, we can all use a vacation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I really appreciate the time. Um, and everybody else, you guys, like I mentioned, if you guys aren't already subscribed to us on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well as that bell icon for us. Um, hit that like button as well. That'll really help us out. Um, like I mentioned before, if you guys are on the go and you want to catch us, you can catch us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which we'll have linked down below, as well as Mr. Beatles as well. Um, and then if you guys want to have any kind of recommendations, you want to send us any kind of questions for myself or our guests, you can hit us up at the truth defender 1776 at gmail.com so for everybody out there i hope you guys stay safe stay healthy stay blessed and definitely stay frosty everybody have a great one Bye.